This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. NPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out npr.nz for more information. Hello there, how you doing? It's uh, Kevin Riley here and welcome to uh, Irish Time here on the Manitou People's Radio in Palmerston North. And I would like to offer all my sort of sympathy and sort of pain that these people in the Hawke's Bay in particular are feeling. I've got family up there, lots of in-laws, and they are kind of devastated with, uh, you know, the devastation and the, you know, the damage that has been done by this cyclone. It's just kind of, you know, it's catastrophic, really. It's kind of unbelievable. So on behalf of all the people here in the radio station, <coughs> we send our sympathies and you're in our thoughts, okay? Thank you very much. Let's get on with this bit of Irish news here. Anyway, what have we got here? Ross Carr, Ross Clare, rather, the fish guard, the centre line ferry, uh, prompts a big uh, response. They had a fire on it, which is uh, not good at all. It's like the, the, the ferry at uh, Wellington that sort of had a put, people had put life jackets on. Anyway, here we go. There was an announcement to the crew of it, uh, advising it was not a drill and that they should take up positions. Smoke ba- began to circulate and uh, people could see the smoke coming from the funnel. Life jackets were issued and crew members assisted passengers with life jackets were looking after each other. He said the, the crew were obviously very well drilled and took all appropriate action, which included issuing water and supporting people who were frightened and who wouldn't be. I'm a sailor trained in sea survival, so I knew how bad this could it could have got. In fact, it had been very windy and heavy seas. You would have you would have reportedly a very different story and a harrowing story if it had the weather had been rougher. Stenal Lyons said the ferry had been removed from service and will undertake a thorough investigation as to the cause of the accident or the incident. Uh, the company also thanked emergency services who deployed significant numbers of their resources as a precaution. We are sorry for any distress and inconvenience that this has caused to our passengers. It said it had reached an agreement with the Irish Ferries to allow passengers to transfer to its Pembroke sailing or transfer to an alternative centerline service at a different port. So at least they're working together there and also trying to calm the people when you're in a ship because when you're in... One of those ferries, there's absolutely very little you can do. You're in, a, you know, in the hands of God, really. Anyway, what have we got here? Ireland's golden visa programme to be scrapped. They have something similar here in New Zealand. A programme offering a visa to non-EU nationals in return for investment in the Republic of Ireland is to be scrapped. Applications will no longer be accepted under the Immigrant Investor Programme. Established in 2012, it offers Irish residents in uh, return for creating jobs. Ireland's Minister for Justice, uh, Simon Harris, said the scheme had been under review for quite a period of time. He made the suggestion, um, having been informed by reports from international bodies and internal and external reviews. So-called golden visas are offered to wealthy people from outside the EU. Applicants uh, to the Irish programme are required to have a personal wealth of €2 million. Euros. Uh Alternatively, they could offer €500,000 as part of an endowment or €400,000 as part of a joint endowment 
to a project which is of public benefit to the arts, sports, health, culture or education in the Republic of Ireland. The sums used for an investment had to be from uh, the applicant's uh, own resources. A large number of submissions to the programme came in from China. Uh, Mr. Hart said the programme was established during a time of unprecedented economic difficulty to help stimulate investment in Ireland. I think that's why they did it here as well. Apparently, uh, 1,500 applicants, uh, applications rather, uh, currently on hand will continue to be considered and projects will have, uh, that have already been approved will not be affected. The Irish government also operates a startup uh, entrepreneur programme which was established in 2012 as well as a way for entrepreneurs with an innovative idea to apply for uh, a residence, uh, permanent residency in the Republic of Ireland. So that's been scrapped, which is... Uh, uh, I don't know. I've got mixed feelings about that. You know, people bringing in money, but they're not doing it out of, as a charity. And now, coming up to St. Patrick's Day, uh, the Taoiseach heading to Washington for St. Patrick's Day as ministers set the travel across the globe. This is causing a bit of controversy because of the costs involved. Uh, Come to just say, signed off uh, on a list of St. Patrick's Day visit for ministers across the globe. It is tradition for ministers and minister states to travel to different destinations around the world to Mark St. Patrick's Day. No one was permitted uh, to travel abroad in 2020 due to the pandemic. But last year, the government saw a promotional program of 33 high-level visits. The visit to, uh, took place within weeks of the beginning of the war in Ukraine, and the government also sought to use the trips to express solidarity with the war-torn, war-torn country and to express Ireland's strong commitment to democratic and humanitarian values. Almost €175,000 was spent last year to send ministers on uh, trade missions for St. Patrick's Day. Isn't that amusing? Uh, figures obtained from the Freedom of Information show how much the government paid for five-star hotels, limousines, tuxedos and shamrock bowls to promote Ireland and to uh, support the Irish communities across the world. St. Patrick's Day programme this year will see the, the Taoiseach, the Prime Minister, and governments travel uh, to promote Ireland and Irish interests around the world. Some of them are going with uh, people going to Washington, D.C., New York and Boston, China, the USA again, Germany, uh, Australia, America, 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 London, uh, Christchurch in Auckland and Wellington in New Zealand. That's the Department of Agriculture, Food and Marine uh, Service. Charlie McConaughey, I think is how you pronounce that. Um Delhi, Mumbai and Bangladesh, India, Dhaka and Bangladesh. That's all amazing. Canada, Canada, Mexico, Japan, Kenya and Tanzania, uh, Italy, uh, Thailand and Indonesia, Belgium and Hol- uh, the Netherlands, uh, United Arab Emirates and Qatar and Korea. The list goes on. It's just quite a... It is a, you know, a free trip, really, when you look at it. I mean, they're going to be talking to people who... Have maybe get invest some money in Ireland, or they can do some sort of business deals. But I'm sure that it's uh, you know a bit of a holiday. Let's be honest. You know what I mean? Going there, a bit of celebration, and no doubt they will have an entourage of you know various business people who will come along with them. Uh, you know, just to drum up a bit of business and promote their companies or whatever industry that they're involved in. Anyway, Brexit. Yes, Brexit never goes away. A deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol could be sealed early next week after more than a year of negotiations. Multiple sources report a flurry of activity around the talks between the UK and the European Union. The post-Brexit trading agreement has been a source of tension since it came into force way back there in 2021. 
the largest of these uh, parties that are against it, the Democratic Unionist Party, is preventing the government from being formed in Northern Ireland in protest over the protocol. It's done that for over a year, and it's causing lots and lots of problems in Northern Ireland. The Prime Minister, uh, Rishi Sunak, is uh, expected to meet EU leaders uh, this weekend at the Munich Security Conference with uh, European President Ursula van der Leyen is also due to attend. It is thought that Perk could discuss the negotiations on the sidelines before the EU and the UK unveil their agreement. That could come as early as next week and possibly Tuesday, according to the you know, sources. Uh, no reason has have been in touch with Northern Ireland businesses groups in recent days. Speculation has been building for weeks that a compromise between the two was close. There are claims dismissed by Johnny that uh, an outline agreement has already been signed and is on Mr. The Sunak's desk. Negotiator is said to have settled a red and green line system whereby goods from Great Britain distant to, North, to remain in Northern Ireland undergo f- fewer checks. A uh, key question for the UDP in Northern Ireland will be what the extent the checks and paperwork, uh, what they will they will involve, and they would like to see them eliminated. The team has set out seven tests for the protocol. You know, just sort of, I think I'm more concerned about remaining Northern Ireland remaining part of the UK. I think at present, and uh, so there's a lot of you know, a lot of people are not happy about it. They'd rather stay, uh, you know, with the Brexit deal, and a lot are more happy with the people being you know the the North having this connection to the European Union in the South, and uh, I think a lot of people are. Uh, not that bothered one way or the other. It's just that the unions, the Democratic Unionist Party, seem to be putting a lot of, causing a lot of problems and issues as they go along. You know, if one thing's solved, they bring up something else. I just think they're, like I've said before, they're just bad losers or sad losers. And, uh, you know, this is, this is actually happening. And, uh, I mean, the, the worry about sort of being part of the UK is not even an issue because they said there would be a referendum on both sides of the border if there was any kind of discussion about Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland becoming one country. You know, it's not as if they're going to sort of, somebody's going to rubber stamp it and suddenly, boom, Northern Ireland doesn't exist any longer. And it is, there's going to be a, a referendum. And um, that will decide it, you know, one way or the other. And from what I've read in the papers, most people, even people in the South, are, uh, you know, uneasy about that. But, you know, Northern Ireland becoming part of the, the Republic of Ireland, become one country. They have, you know, they've got issues about it because they think that, you know, the, given the history of Northern Ireland of violence, they're a bit concerned that that might spill over and uh, come back again. Only this time it'll be in all of Ireland. Anyway, anyway, here we go. Um, this is about rents, and this is really, it's going to be a big issue now, particularly in some places like the Hawke's Bay and the East Cape and other parts of the country that have been devastated by Cyclone Gabriel. You know, it's just, you know, accommodation is going to be a big issue, and rental houses will be part of that. So the interest because will be, you know, thousands of people will be stranded, basically. You know, they won't be able to go back into their homes for uh, possibly some time. <laughs> and possibly sometime never go back to them because they've just gone, disappeared. And you can't jump build houses overnight. We've already got a shortage of uh, skilled labour in the construction industry. This is just going to, you know, just make this so much, much harder to get things on, move, get them up and moving. We're in for a long time, a long period of reconstruction, I would imagine, in New Zealand once uh, things have settled down with the... Uh, 
you know, Cyclone Gabriel's damage, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's just catastrophic. I mean, you see, you watch it in television, you see it in the papers, and it's, it really is, you know, surreal. But imagine if you were actually there, you know, it's when the, the, the full effect would really hit, hit you. And I just think, you know, another big issue would be people with mental health issues, the shock of all this. You know, our health service are in for a, not a hard time, but they're going to sort of need more medical staff, as in mental health issues. Anyway, that's just me rambling there. Sorry. The rental crisis in Ireland is having a devastating impact on the lives of, the, of an entire generation, according to Mary Lou MacDonald, the leader of uh, Sinn Féin. The opposition leader told uh, the Dáil, the government, uh, holding housing plan was not working and the rental prices meant the lives and aspirations of tenants were being put on hold. Speaking in response during speaker's question time, uh, the Taoiseach uh, considered that rents were too high but said the government was working to help people to buy their own home. That's not going to solve anything, Leo. It's just kind of, you know, people want to buy their own home but, you know, there's thousands and thousands of homeless. That is not the answer. Report indicated the average rent uh, uh, national rent between October and December was €1,703 Euros a month, up 2.7. That's a lot of money, by the way, just kind of, you know, €2 Euros to the dollar, so it gives you some idea. Uh, referring, re- referencing the report, Mrs. MacDonald said rents have soared to unaffordable rents in the, the decade that Fianna Fáil have been in power. The latest uh, report is a nightmare to read for workers and families caught up in this private rental trap. The report shows that new rents across the, the state increased by nearly one, uh, 14% in 2022. Um, uh, by all accounts, uh, saw that double-digit increases are on the way. The average rent now stands at a staggering 1733 Here in Dublin, it is even worse with tenants paying on average €2,293 a month. I mean, that's a phenomenal amount of money, OK? It really is a lot of money. And this guy wants to, you know, people want to buy their own homes. You're never going to save up any money when you're paying those extremely high rents. These are exorbitant sums of money. Good on it. I agree with that. Uh, there are apartment blocks being built now where the asking rents will be even higher. In my own constituency, which is Dublin, uh, central Dublin, there are three bedroom apartments newly built where people are being asked to fork out nearly €4,000 a month. Uh, that'd be for a certain class, of course, you know, business class, even the upper middle classes. It won't be for the average punter. Uh, the, Mrs. McDonald held up a series of photographs of rooms offered for rent and properties. It's soul-destroying stuff. The rent increases, uh, crisis have been a, a devastating effect on a, on a whole gen- on a, a, an entire population, uh, of, you know, an entire generation, sorry, in their late 30s and 40s, young people unable to move out of their parents' home because they haven't got a chance of renting. So many financially crippled by years of paying these rents, faced with the choice of moving back in with mum and dad, are emigrating for a shorter, for a better life in uh, another country. Mostly they go to England, Australia or New Zealand or mostly go to America if they can get in. So it is, I mean, the rental crisis is bad and I think we could have issues with that as well once... All of the problems that we have in the, you know, with the involved with the cyclone have settled down, which will be some time away. But I think there will rent, you know, thousands of people from what I've read who are kind of basically not quite homeless, but just staying in shelters and in uh, hostels, et cetera, et cetera. And that's only permanent, uh, only a temporary sort of arrangement. So we could end up with some serious problems. 
because I was reading there, also in Ireland they're talking about it, where empty houses are going to be, uh, you know, if it's not going to, if they've got six weeks, the landlord or the owner has got six weeks to find a tenant or else put it on the market to, to sell or else the government is just going to move tenants in. <clears throat> they're going to be, you know, vetoed and all the rest of it, but they're going to be uh, used so the houses aren't land vacant while there's thousands of people looking for somewhere. Uh, you know, looking for permanent accommodation, basically. And I think uh, something similar could happen here with, uh, you know, when the, the dust is settled on all this and people have to have somewhere to stay. Landlords may be, uh, not forced, that's not the right word, but be sort of, uh, what are you talking about? Encouraged. That's a, that's a nice word, encouraged. But I think, uh, you know, that they will be, they will have to do it in some way. And after all, this is a time if ever people needed to come together, this is it because this is a real tipping point in New Zealand's history. You know, it really is a tipping point because the problems that this is going to cause are enormous. Anyway, uh, the Prime Minister, this is uh, Leo again, the Taoiseach, uh, says, windfall tax will uh, well advance and will be used to help families and businesses. Uh, the Prime Minister said, introduce a windfall tax on energy companies as well advanced and will bring in hundreds of millions in, of euros. Speaking during the leader's question time, he was asked about re- uh, rising rental costs and he just said that you know, a windfall tax will, come, will be taking place and that will help alleviate some of the rental issues that the country has faced with the high rents like we just mentioned. The... A, a, a subcommittee uh, is having a meeting on the, the economy, discuss challenges at the end of this week, uh, just to see what, what, how they can overcome a lot of these issues. In recent weeks, it has reiterated that there would, be, uh, there would not be a cliff edge for cost of living support. Speaking about the windfall tax on energy companies, which will fund some of these measures, uh, it's already well advanced, he said. Companies will pay tax on the profits they made last year as well. I've uh, adding that the government will be used to help businesses and help households with the high cost of energy and the high cost of renting. High cost, you know, the cost of living, basically, that is. Because that's, rents are part of the cost of living, not just foodstuffs. In relation to state companies, uh, while the exact figures are not yet ready, the government anticipated that a number of state energy companies will record a very high profit, just like a lot of them have, all the you know, BP, Exxon. It's in the billions and billions of profit. And I think they should be taxed, you know, be paying more. They play their part as a good corporate citizen in supporting their uh, their neighbourhoods, their communities, the people that, uh, you know, supply, give them the money, you know, who buy their product. And what else, guys? This is something that kind of disturbs me to some degree. Uh, anti-refugee protests, a far cry from the crossroads of noble water charges. As that follows a racist balance, follows anti-refugee uh, protests across Europe. The rise of the far-right ideas has been, has been on the increase of migrants and, and people of colour for some time. It is just over two, uh, two months since the first protest at East Wall, that's in Dublin. Uh, since Christmas, there have been an, a wave of protests, including outside centres for asylum seekers and constituency offices, uh, opposition uh, MPs. The threat of violence has always been present in many of these protests. Uh, and one there in Finlas saw a masked man speak from the migrant and declared there is no point standing here outside the guard, the, the guard office, uh, station rather, the police station. You have to go elsewhere to get these efforts, efforts uh, staying and burn them out. Isn't it just unbelievable? 
But there again, that's a kind of world we live in, a kind of really dis- totally disjointed world. And certainly there's no unity in, in it at all, in any part of it. Already we have a proliferation of video depicting violence against migrants and people of colour. And uh, we have to do something about this, uh, this man said, seemingly because it was wrongly suspected of being planned for use. I mean, they, they stormed a hotel because they, they thought they were gonna, it was going to be used by uh, my, not immigrants, but you know, refugees. So they did, and they did some serious damage to it. It was an international hotel, by the way. Uh, a group of international uh, students were also involved, and they were racially abused and physically attacked, uh, also in Dublin, uh, and some at a, a local bus stop, or most, you know, bus station. If there's any, uh, no determined resistance to them, this will get worse. The consequences are as predictable as they are tragic. Presumably, most people attending the anti-refugee program would not support violence, uh, violent attacks against refugees. However, this is a minority who are feeling more and more involved to unleash their racism into verbal and physical assaults. So that's really, I mean, that just makes me sad as an Irish-born person that they can actually go out and do that and think that it's okay, etc., etc. It's not okay, and it never is, not just in Ireland, but in any country. These people, you know, are leaving war-torn countries and devastation behind them. They're not after, uh, you know... Oh, you know, freebies or anything. All I want is, a, you know, a chance to actually move into another country and hopefully settle down and have a, you know, a quieter life for them and their children, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Not out taking people's jobs or stealing or anything nasty. They just want to have a, a, another chance at life, which is not a big ask because, you know, like I've said before, Irish people, Irish born have, you know, moved into every part of the, uh, every country on the planet. And most, in most cases, they were made welcome. They weren't abused and beaten up and, uh, you know, burnt out, etc. because they came from Ireland. Some one or two countries were not happy about the Irish, you know, but uh, it didn't turn into violence or any stuff like that. There was a lot of verbal abuse by thugs, really, people who really, you know, just boneheads is the best way to describe them. Anyway, the remains of the Irish hero Patrick Sarsfield has been uh, located after more than 300 years. Best known for his defence of Limerick, way back there in 1690 after the Battle of the Boyne. The remains of Sarsfield, the Earl of Lucan, have uh, been located and it's up to repatriate his remains back to Ireland, researchers have claimed. Sarsfield was one of the wild geese who fled Ireland after the defeat of uh, James II in the Williamite Wars by King William III. He is best known for his rising defence of Limerick in 1690, like I just said. He was finally defeated in uh, 1691, but negotiated a treaty to keep the remnants of the Jacobite army together. Under the terms of the Treaty of Limerick, Sarsfield and 15,000 Jacobite soldiers and their families left for France never to return. Sarsfield was killed in the service of the French king, Louis XIV, at the Battle of Landen which took place on July the 29th, 1693, during the, the, 90 year, the Nine Years' War. Not 90 years, Nine Years' War. He died some days later from his wounds. According to his contemporary report, he was buried a few days later on the grounds of St. Martin's Church in the nearby village of Hoo in modern-day Belgium. The town is about 30 kilometres southwest of Liège. The exact location of the battleground has now been established following the intervention of 
Dr. Luc Guron, Guron, is it? the Honorary Consul of France in Limerick. He wrote to the mayor uh, to request his, uh, his assistance in trying to locate the ancient burial grounds of St. Uh, Martin's Church. The church records uh, state that 24 bodies were buried in the grounds on the church in 1689 to 1795. Two French officers were buried there. Eight are named and three and two are anonymous. The burial of the two anonymous French officers corresponds directly with the death of Sarsfield. So one of them must be him, according to the researchers. Definitive proof will be established once the skeletons are found. Scarfield was an exceptionally tall man, especially by the standards of the age, being well over six foot tall. It's a, it really is tall, way back in 1600. Uh, the other factor is that the doctor has traced the family line back uh, to some descendants who carried the same Y chromosome as uh, Scarf- Sarsfield's father, the common ancestor. If we have a match with uh, Sarsfield's Y chromosome, it will provide beyond doubt that it is him. Boys inherit the same uh, Y chromosome for their fathers, and so on, uh, and it goes on like that through the, eight, the generations. We trace it all the way back through the common ancestor in the branch of the family to which uh, uh, Patrick Sarsfield belongs. The Sarsfield are also part of a rare group, which is a, a genetic population group of people who share a common ancestor on the... I can't pronounce the word, Palaline, I think it is. Uh, the doctor will be working with Limerick-based company, Archaeology Limited, to conduct uh, <clears throat> an archaeological excavation at the time, possibly as early as this summer, by the summer of 2024. Depending on how quickly the, the administration, the administrative authorization to carry on the excavation can be obtained from the Minister for Heritage of the Walloon government. You know, they were Walloons. Uh, he's also announced that a fundraising campaign involving a mix of crun, uh, crowdfunding and corporate responsibility will be launched in the coming months with the objective of raising the estimated €90,000 needed to conduct the excavation. He envisaged that once his remains, the remains were able to be brought back to Ireland for reburial, maybe in Limerick or uh, Lucan, where Sarsfield is originally from. The first aim of the Sarsfield homecoming project is to find and repatriate the remains of the man himself. So there you go. That's uh, that's it over, isn't it? Amazing for another one. But anyway, so like our thoughts and prayers are all with the people of the, the Hawks Bay and the East Cape. And some of them are just out of cell phone coverage. They've got no no connection to the world. They're out on their own at present. But to give the, you know, the government and all the Navy, the firemen and all the other organisations that have been bringing in food, Lots of tucker and fresh water for them to keep them alive until things settle down and people can actually get through there because a lot of the roads, uh, many of the roads are still blocked and bridges have just disappeared. So it's just, we're in for a really, you know, a long haul to get the company back on its feet. On that sort of depressing note, really, I will say goodbye and we'll see you next week. Until then, take care and be kind to one another more than ever. See ya. If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, as well as the accessmedia.nz app. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.npr.nz forward slash donate.